Well, welcome everybody to Rise Church. So glad that you're with us today. Welcome back to our building reopening. Y'all made it. Come on, make some noise like you're happy to be here. And um, man, we had a great first service and uh, man, just so glad to have everybody back uh, really with our home and our spiritual family. And we know that everybody's excited to get back in this place. And so, hey, we're going to be taking the next probably several weeks just to get back in the rhythm and the flow of things. And of course, uh, a lot of our church is kind of abbreviated today. We don't have uh, children's ministry just yet. We have all our kids in here. So if you're a kid in here, make some noise. Get it all out right now. Come on, scream if you're a kid. Wow, that was interesting. That didn't go the way I had planned. So anyway, my name is Aaron. I'm the senior pastor. On behalf of my wife, Erica, and all of our staff, we're so glad that you're with us today, especially you're here with us for the very first time. If you're a guest with us, we're honored that you made it out. Uh, we're excited that you made it out. Uh, always invite our guests to come back at least three times. Everybody say three times. Here's why. I know that when you, get the, when you go to a new place, you don't always get the best experience in the first experience, and uh, you walked into the building today, and you probably didn't smell the greatest of smells. So anyway, uh, you know, give us another chance. I don't know what's going on, but uh, hey, you know, there's always next week. Everybody say, there's always next week. All right, so come back and check us out. Hopefully, you be your spiritual family. That's our hope and uh, our prayer. Also, if you do, if you have your phone, will you do me a favor? Take out your phone right now. You, yes, you can take out your phone. Let people know that you're back at church. Check in. Let them know if you're online. Hit that share button, like, comment, be a part of the conversation. Uh, I love that we're able to do that on a regular basis. And hey, if you are one of those who maybe are uncomfortable uh, coming back just yet, we're so proud and so glad that you're with us. You're joining with us online inside of our digital church experience. Uh, we can't wait to see you very, very soon. And uh, just let you know we are doing all we can to keep everything safe, sanitary, and healthy here at Rise Church. We are in the middle of a series called Happiness Is. Everybody say happy. happy. And man, the reason we did that is because we know that it's been really, really hard to stay happy in our current season of life. You know, our current culture has been so weird. You know, we've had to deal with the pandemic of COVID-19, and now we're dealing with incredible uh, just uprising in our in our world with just racial injustice and all of the issues of our time. And how many of y'all know if you get caught too much flipping through social media or being on the news too much, you make you feel kind of crazy and sad. You start to feel odd. You're like, what in the world is going on? How can I be happy right now? And God had a lot to say about what it was to be happy. We've been in a series for about six weeks now, and honestly, we don't normally do series this long, but I've been felt the burden of just God, just like I felt like he's been speaking to us like, man, we need to speak about this. Jesus spoke about this. How many, if you're honest, online or in here right now, how many of you are honest, just say, man, I've been struggling with being happy in the last couple months. Come on, raise your hand, me like me, so just be like me, all right? We have some people who are honest under God. Great, because we've been all struggling with it, and God has a lot to say about it. Matthew chapter 5 is where we've kind of camped the last several weeks. We've been doing a, uh, a series that if you're a Bible scholar, you use the word exegetical, okay? We've been uh, doing an exegetical message, which means we've been going verse by verse. I had somebody tell me one time, like, Pastor, we don't do no verse by verse. You don't really preach the whole Bible. I'm like, okay, we'll, we'll do an exegetical verse. I like to preach topically. I like to do them all. I'm a little, little scatterbrained like that. So anyway, uh, we're doing an exegetical message walking through the verses of what we call the Beatitudes or the first part of the Sermon on the Mount. And really what it was is uh, it was a happiness poem that Jesus started out his greatest sermon on how to truly be happy. So I highly encourage you to go back and check out on risechurchtx.com or our podcast. We're on Spotify and Google Play. We're at Apple iTunes. We're everywhere. And um, we are today in verse 9, and uh, we're going to uh, speak about a specific uh, beatitude or happiness is or happy the happy are those uh, verse about uh, about peacemakers. And we're going to read it right now, and this is what it says in verse nine. It says, "Blessed or happy are the peacemakers." Everybody say, "Peacemakers." 
Come on, like you're happy to be back in the house of God with your gut and you got Red Bull on you. Say, peacemakers. There you go. For they will be called the children of God. An interesting verse that Jesus speaks about. If you want to be happy, learn to be a peacemaker inside of your world. So if you have uh, your notes, you're taking notes, and hopefully you are, write down the message of my, the title of my message. We're all going to say this together, especially your kid in here. We're all going to speak this out. And you got to say it like you got a little bit of an attitude, like you're a little bit like little Charlton Heston, a little John Wayne, a little bit like, all right, you got to like have a little bit of a, uh, a raised lip and say it with me on three, one, two, three. You want a piece of me? That's, that's how, yeah, it's like, you want some of this? So that's what we're talking about today if you're taking notes. But let's pray. Father, we love you, God. Lord, I'm honored to be in your house, God. What it is, uh, what it is a privilege. We count it as a privilege to be here. And Lord, I pray that today we would see only what you have for us, God. I've prepared notes, but honestly, God, every time I preach your word, you speak a special personal message to each and every one of us. And I pray that today, God, your name would be lifted up, that, Father, your, your word would be preached and your word would be spoken. Thank you for the privilege of being in your house in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Um, I have a confession to make. Can I, can I just be, can I just have like a confessions of a pastor moment, right? I, I have a confession to make. I, um, I am really, really, I have a, a bad habit of getting into arguments and conflict very, very easily. Anybody else can get into a fight easy. Anybody else want to admit it? Awesome. We have a few people who, you know, telling the truth. So we, we, I, we, you and I, we, we can get into conflict. I have two primary characteristics. I have a big mouth and I have a lot of opinions. And if you put those two things together, how many y'all know you can get yourself into some trouble, right? Can we be honest? We'll say, yeah, like elbow your neighbor and say, that's you, know, that's you. So anyway, so like we, we have some issues. If you're careful, I have a big mouth and I have an opinion and I can get, uh, I can get into conflict fairly easily. One of the things that I, I, I'm not proud of that I have to work on, honestly, that I'm trying to work on in my life is not making a small thing a big thing. Anybody else like, kind of like that? Like I can make a small thing a big thing. And what happens is, is sometimes I can take a small thing and then add another small thing to it and then add another small thing to it. And before you know it, the day is lost. The day is just completely gone. And so one of the things that happened to me recently was I did one of those uh, genetic testing kits. You ever done one of those the genetic testing testing kits? And I did one of those. You kind of spit in the tube, and then you you shake it up, and you send it off to some lab. And now the government knows everything about you. And uh, you know, and so I they sent it off, and and uh, I finally got my my results back after a few weeks. And and I woke up. I actually got them on an email. I woke up and. And I looked at my phone, and I got a message letting me know I had all my all my results. And there was a lot of results in there that were kind of shocking. But one of the ones that really was kind of odd to me is I pulled it up, and I went to the part that said genetic testing for health, genetic testing for health. And um, I don't know if you all know this or not, but I used to weigh 325 pounds. I've had some weight issues in my life, especially when I came out of college and lost a ton of weight and held it off for about 10 years. Thank you, Jesus. And so, you know, I'm just like, just happy to be healthy. And I'm like on a journey and everything's all good, you know, and I'm happy. And uh, one of the interesting things that I learned about my genetic testing, I kid you not, this is literally what it said. Okay. If I'm lying, I'm dying. I promise you this is what it said. I went to the genetic thing and there was a marker that said a specific category. I'm just, it said genetic, uh, genetic weight like genetic weight. And I'm like, what's that mean? So I click on it. So you got to be careful when you click on things, right? So I clicked on, I'm like, what does that mean? So it drops down the carrot and it said, oh, Mr. Grijalva, you are, I'm not kidding you. This is literally what it said. Okay. Now remember my background. Okay. So he said, literally what it said, it says, you are genetically predisposed to weighing more than the average person. Okay. That's literally what it said to me. 
All I read, okay, all I heard when I felt like it was science telling me that I am genetically predispositioned to be fat my whole life. That's literally what I heard. As I read it, like you are genetic, like there's not, you have no say in the matter. You might as well just give up and start eating Cheetos because there's nothing you can do. And I was like, I could not believe it. It made me mad. I was like irritated. I'm trying to find the 1-800 number. I'm going to tell the scientists they're wrong. Like, I'm like, you don't understand. Like, look, I've been lost of my weight. I've been watching stuff and I'm eating vegan and kale. Ain't nobody like kale. And so I'm trying to be healthy. And you're telling me that no matter what I do, I'm going to be heavy. So I was mad. My wife comes in as I'm walking through. Not kidding. This is, I'm telling you, it's a true story. I'm walking through. I'm like, like this. I'm like partly crying, partly mad. You know, have you ever had those moments? <laughs> Stupid thing. And I'm like mad. Walking. And she, my wife walks in and goes, hey, babe, the, 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 your, the breakfast is done. You want to come and have it? I'm like, what? And like, she's, like, she's like, what? I didn't mean it. I'm like, I'm like, you don't know. They just told me that science just told me I'm fat. Science. Science told me that. I feel like I'm in high school again. Like science told me that. And she's like, what are you talking about? I go, I don't know what I'm talking about. Do you care? I don't want to eat. I'm never going to eat again. I'm just fasting right now. She goes, I don't want to eat breakfast. She's like, I don't know what's going on. So I got mad at her, right? So then I got mad at her. Then my kids come in. Then I get mad at my kids. And I'm mad at my kids now. I'm mad at my, we're we're arguing. I'm arguing with my children. I'm arguing with my wife. My, you know, I'm talking to our staff. I'm arguing with them. I'm mad at everybody. I'm mad at the world. I'm mad at Best Buy. I'm mad at Starbucks. Nobody get anything right. Before you know it, I'm at the end of the day and my day was ruined simply because I started out and I made something that was small. Come on. I made it into something big. Anybody else like me? Anybody else just lose a whole day after you hear and that science tells you you're fat. So I just realized that I'm in, I have a problem with conflict. I don't know how, I'm going to say it like this, like I don't know how to deal with conflict or, or, have, or deal with conflict resolution well. And here's why. We all are kind of a little like that. If we're honest, um, we, we, we have two main reasons why we don't deal with conflict well, why we don't have conflict resolution in our life. Number one, you, you were not taught this. Have you noticed that your parents probably didn't sit you down and say, little Billy, little Sally, here's how we deal it. When you get mad, when you have conflict with someone else, this is how you systematically work it out. Did anybody have that conversation? Probably nobody. And if you did, you, you grew up in the less than half a percent of people probably who were ever taught how to systematically work through your moments of conflict, which means you and I were left to our emotions. So however you felt, it came out and you just let people know. Anybody else like that in here? Anybody just like, I'm mad and I'm gonna let you know. Or you, you, you didn't have your emotions. You were left to, you were left to your influences, which leads us to our second problem was that you might not have been taught about conflict resolution. Or if you were taught, you were taught the wrong thing and you might've been mis like mistaught, which like you only saw it. Maybe you saw it from your parents, like your mom always avoided when she got mad, there was conflict. She went to her room, she slammed the door and nobody saw her for the night. Right? Or your dad, maybe you heard your dad, you saw your dad when there was conflict, there was screaming, there was yelling, there was anger, maybe there was violence, and now you have been taught the wrong thing when it comes to conflict. And now we have a whole generation and society of people who have to now figure out how to deal with conflict, and the only way that they know is from learning from mama and from daddy, and they didn't actually do it the right way. Under God, right? And so if we're not careful, we'll miss out on the opportunities to actually be true peacemakers inside of our lives. Now, one of the reasons why we don't do it and why we're actually not peacemakers is because of there, there's a lot of misconceptions about peacemaking. Uh, a couple of them are this. Number one is that peacemaking is not, uh, it's not avoiding. It's not avoiding. Some, some of you, when I said peacemaker, you thought, well, here we go again, this like hippie gospel about everybody just needs to love everybody and don't worry about conflict. And if you're mad, don't say nothing. It's not avoiding. Peacemaking is not peacekeeping. They're not the same thing. 
Because there's a lot of peacekeepers in our world. We're like, don't do anything. Don't say that. Don't do it. Just put your head in the sand. Don't talk about it. Sweep it under the rug. Look the other way. Like, don't do it. Because when you do that, when you, if you ask that question, you're going to have an argument. It, peacemaking is not peacekeeping. It's also not appeasing. So peacemaking is not giving in. It's not saying it's okay. It's not allowing injustice to happen. It's not allowing for op oppositions to happen. It's not being a bad, it's not allowing for bad things and for weird stuff to happen in the world. Peace keep, peacemaking simply is this ability to stand up for legitimate issues. And Jesus did it all the time. Go back and read it. He stood against injustice. He stood against opposition of, of issues. He stood against people who were being oppressed and abused in life. That's primarily why he came. Go back and read Luke 4. So a lot of times we can misunderstand the idea of peacemaking and think, well, it's just the, everybody just needs to love everybody. That's not true. That you and I were called to be peacemakers because it will ultimately bring happiness to us. And the and Bible says it will signify your identity in Christ. It's not your bumper sticker that you put on a honk of your Christian. It's not whether or not you check the box on Facebook that said you were a follower of Christ. Come on. Like, right? Like we think, well, I, I said I was a Christian. Hello? People will know you by your fruit. And Jesus was saying you actually need to be a peacemaker in order for that to happen. Now, why is this important? This is so fun foundational when it comes to our relationship with Christ because there are some Christians who believe as long as their relationship with God is good, then they're good. But the Bible doesn't teach that. Jesus doesn't teach that. As a matter of fact, if that was all that it was for, then the gospel would be only a piece of what it's supposed to be. Jesus comes and establishes his living gospel and truth revolved around this statement, unresolved conflict with my brother. It, it actually hurts me. It, it actually hurts you. There are some of us, if we're honest, we're okay with other conflict with others because we think as long as I'm good with God, I don't need to be good with others. The Bible doesn't teach that. In fact, I'll show it to you. In the scriptures, it's a great passage in 1 John. And if you've never had like a life verse, you should probably write this down. Like you should, you should pay attention to what he's saying. It says this. It says, you can't love God whom you've never seen. Last time I checked, none of us are 2,000 years old, right? Okay, anybody? Raise your, okay, good. We're all in the same boat. We never seen Jesus. We haven't seen God. If you can't love God whom you've never seen if you don't love the people you do. And then, I like this, John goes on to say, he goes, let me just make it plain, just so that we're no, there's no misunderstanding. He says, to claim you love God, to claim you're a Christian, to claim you follow Jesus, to claim you believe the Bible, to claim you check the mark on Facebook, to say that you are a follower and disciple of God, to claim that and then hate others makes you a liar. I mean, ouch, John. Like, you didn't have to say it like that. Couldn't you have just said, well, to claim you love God but don't love others, you're missing the mark. No, he says you're a liar. You've, you've missed on the fundamental idea that conflict with my brother affects my relationship with the Father. So you can't sit in your closet and stay at home and say, I'm good. As long as I'm good and everybody else ain't good, it don't really much matter. Because the Bible teaches us, that's just one area of scripture where the Bible teaches you need to care about your fellow brother and sister, especially if they're hurting. You just need to care. You can't be apathetic. You can't be on the sidelines. You need to be in it. 
and understand that it ultimately affects your relationship with God the Father. So if that's true, and peacemaking is powerful, and peacemaking is godly, then we need to know how to do that. Since you weren't taught maybe a systematic way of peacemaking, I'm going to give you a systematic step-by-step process on how to be a peacemaker inside of your own life. You ready? I'm going to give you a few of them. Number one is this how to be a peacemaker. Number one, you need to ask God for wisdom. Now, here's the interesting thing about this. It should be done ahead of time. Here's typically what happens if you and I, when you and I have an issue or conflict. Somebody offends you. Somebody has something wrong. There is a problem. You know it, right? Because you get that feeling in your stomach. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all, y'all when you, you might be in a issue with someone right now. More than likely, one of y'all are in an issue with someone, or maybe you got into a fight on the way to church. Hello, somebody, right? Yeah, isn't that funny how that happens? You're like, come on, little Timmy, shut up, stop talking. Little Sally, be quiet, stop pinching your brother. And then you start yelling at your wife or your husband, and everything's just bad, and you try to come in, and then as soon as you open the door, you're blessed and highly favored when you walk in the door, right? <laughs> I don't know, it's just weird how church is, so it makes you, makes you blessed and highly favored. So anyway, you, you might be in a conflict with someone, and the typical response is, number one, some of you are in here, and your personality is to stew. Anybody are the stewers, right? You let it marinate. You don't go fix it. You just let it sit in your spirit, and it just stews, right? It's like a crock pot of emotion, and you just put it on high, and you just think about what you would say and how you would say it, and I would do this. And let me just tell you, they're going to say this, and then I'm going to say this, and then they're going to say this, and then, oh, I'm going to use this Bible verse right here, Jesus juke, right in his neck, and then I'm going to say this, and I'm going to have this, and then you just stew on it, and it gets all up in your spirit, and before you know it, you're like mean to everyone. Nobody in here, right? Nobody watching at this church, other churches. Or your second kind of person, maybe your personality is not to stew, your personality is to react. Your reaction, your response to things is reacting. So if you got offended, somebody offended you, your natural reaction is to offend them right back. You get punched, you punch right back. You don't even think about it. You're like, you hurt me, let me hurt you. And I got a Bible verse for it, yo. And you do the best you can to hurt them in the moment because you've been hurt in the moment. But if you go back and you look at both of those, they're all rooted in your own personal wisdom. The truth of the matter is, is that we need to actually be focused on God's wisdom so that we can do it God's way. Matthew chapter 10 says it like this. It says, behold, I send you out a sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents. Everybody say wise. And harmless as doves. Everybody say harmless. So two parts of that. Wise means you need to be cunning. You need to be the people who think ahead. You need to be the people who plan ahead. Have you ever met that person who thinks five steps ahead of you? Come on, they play life. They play chess instead of checkers in life. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about. They understand the idea of cause and effect. Come on. They know that if you do one thing, this is going to happen with the other. They're cunning. They actually think. I know it sounds groundbreaking. But they think about what they say before they say it. Because they're, they're being shrewd. They're being wise. They're not being manipulative. They're being cunning and thinking about, I need to pay attention because my actions ultimately bring about a certain result. Then it goes on to say, you need to be harmless. That you need to go into each situation that you have conflict with lurking to help and not to be right. Hello. I know that sounds crazy, but it's okay to be wrong. Sorry. It's okay. It's okay not to have all the issues figured out. It's okay not to be the ones who look. When you walk into a situation of conflict, you need to look to improve, not to impress. To move the ball forward so that you can 
be helpful. Number two is this. So you have ask God for wisdom. Y'all didn't like that one. We'll move on to the next one. Secondly, make the first step. You're not going to like any of these. I'm just going to tell you, you're going to walk out of here today being like, oh man, your spirit's going to feel a little, little poked. Okay. Cause I'm like trying to, I'm trying to find the bruises in you. All right. We're going to, we're going to have a spiritual doctor appointment. Anyway, make the first step. Matthew chapter five says it like this. I like what Jesus says in the sermon on the Mount. He says, if you're standing before the altar in the temple, giving an offering to God, so that you're going to worship God. Offering is always a worship to him. It's always honoring God with with your, your, with your money. He's saying, we're going to give an offering to God. You're going to worship. But then you suddenly remember someone has something against you. You have conflict with your brother. He says this, leave your offering there beside the altar. Leave your offering. Just heads up. Just said, leave it at the church. Leave your offering. Anyway, just side note, just teasing. Anyway. All right. So go at once and be first reconciled. Everybody say reconciled. It's important. He says, be reconciled to that person. Then come back and offer your gift to God. Jesus is highlighting your worship. It's not as important as your relationship with the people. Because if you don't get this right, it messes with this. And you and I can be so focused on our vertical relationships, we don't understand our horizontals. And you're missing out on the issue of life. You need to be the first one to take the first step. Have you ever had that feeling when you get into conflict? The butterfly feeling means you should go fix it. If you feel it, fix it. So if you feel it, because we all have that like little tingly. You're like, oh, man, I can't believe. Peacemakers make the first step. Peacemakers make the first step. Conflict. Let me just say this real so clearly, as clear as I can say this. Conflict does not resolve itself. You ever heard that myth, time heals all wounds? That's a lie. Have you ever been to the doctor? You ever, anybody broke an arm, broken hand, broken bone, something like that? Had a really bad gash? When you go to the doctor, you want to notice about like if you really cut your arm open, you're bleeding everywhere, you walk in, loss of blood, you're about to pass out. You know what doctors don't do? Ah, time will heal it. <laughs> ah, just let it be. It'll be all right. No, no, no. It's not time that heals all wounds. It's intentional time that heals all wounds. It's that the doctor goes in, he fixes it, patches it up, wraps it up, do this, make sure you elevate this, put that area in that way. Don't use it on this. Come on, it's intentional. And that's intentional time over a long period of time. That can heal a wound, but not just time. That's a lie. That you and I have to be intentional with our time. We have to learn to actually face our fears. If you fear, feel afraid to be confrontational and to resolve conflict, congratulations. Welcome to the human race. Everybody's afraid. Because what, here's what happens. What we're really afraid of is what are you going to say when I want to just make it right? Because you and I have had that moment when you walked in with best intentions. Hey, can we help this out? And they were like, I don't want to help it out. I don't like you. I don't want to be in your life. And you got hurt. And now your hurt is now turned into fear for next conflict resolution. It doesn't always happen like that. You had a bad moment. doesn't mean it's always going to be bad. But you need to face your fears, walk into it, and be intentional about taking the first step. That's good. I'll aim myself. Hallelujah. Number three. Set the atmosphere. You need to set the atmosphere. Now, if you ever go back and read in Scripture, don't do it now, but go back. This is great for study. Go back and read about Samson. Samson is one of the most famous characters in all the Bible. He's the strongest, one of the strongest people who ever lived. One of his, but the, the Bible says that, that his, his, his strength came from his hair, that he had never cut his hair. Well, he was in conflict with a lot of people in his area, and he revealed his secret to the wrong person in the wrong place at the wrong time. He was in the wrong atmosphere. And sometimes when you're trying to resolve conflict, the worst thing you can do is try to resolve it in the wrong atmosphere. I define atmosphere as simply the right person in the right place at the right time. And if one of those are off, it's wrong, just so you know. That's kind of the formula. So 
If you're trying to, if you and I have conflict with, if you have a conflict with the, with the person, let's say person A, you have a conflict with person A. Sometimes, have you ever noticed what we do? And Christians love to do this. What we do is we go, we don't go to person A. We go to person B, C, or D who has a relationship with A, and we try to talk to them about the issue. And you're like, you then you, and then you real, you figured out that your conflict doesn't go down. It actually made it worse because they found out you were talking about them behind your back, and now you gossip, right? That ain't conflict resolution. That's gossip. That's Christian gossip. And we always like to cover it like, well, let me just go and tell you. I didn't think that was right about what, how they did it. I didn't know if that was should happen. And I don't know if we should have that moment. And I'm telling you, did you hear what happened to happen or whatever? Did you, we need to pray about that. No, that's gossip. Matthew 18 says, if you have an issue, okay, something came up in your spirit. You have an issue, go to that person. Don't go to another person. Don't go to someone else who's related to them. Come on. Don't go to a friend of a friend. Hey, just wanted to double check. No, 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 no. If you have a problem, Go to that person. You have to make sure that your conflict resolution with the right person. Number two, the right place. How many y'all know that like Starbucks might not be the best time for you to deal with your family issues? <laughs> Heads up. The parking lot at, you know, Chili's might not be the right place. Police might roll up on you and go, what the heck's going on? You, you might need to find the right atmosphere. Come on, you know what I'm saying? And some of us are like, what are we just going to deal with it right now? Hold, hold on. It could be that there's a better place that this could happen in. The third one is the right time. I've noticed this about people. Sometimes in a moment of frustration when you have a conflict with your brother and something was revealed to you and it might be personally offensive, you, do you realize that that could be the wrong time to actually try to resolve it? I'm gonna teach, I want to teach you something. One of the greatest statements you can say is, thank you for sharing that with me. I need to, I need to think about this. I need to really think about this. I want to honor you by not reacting. Come on. I want to go and ask the Lord and respond as Jesus would respond. I want to know what love requires me in this moment. Can I just, man, that, thank you for sharing that with me. Don't be like, well, thanks for sharing. That's not what I said, right? <laughs> really be genuine. Thank you for sharing that with me. But right now, man, I, I want to make sure that, that, that I honor you by, by really, man, responding well. Can we, can we meet again? Do y'all hear what I'm saying? Right atmosphere, you need to set it. Number four is this, we need to begin with me. Begin with me. Ever say me. me. Yeah, by me, I mean me. Like you. Me. Like you. You need to start with you. Like you have to start with what's wrong with you first because most conflict comes, with, comes from our selfishness. James 4 says it like this. So he even says it. He said, what causes fights and quarrels among you? They're caused by selfish desires. That they're continually at war inside of you. That there's something inside of all of us that are selfish. We selfish, Selfishness in, in and of itself always leads us to conflict instead of care. Is that when you walk into a moment of conflict and you're trying to resolve it, when you walk in with selfish motives and selfish desires and you start off with like, oh, let me tell you what's wrong with you, it always leads to quarrels. So one of the ways you can begin with you, like Proverbs said, I like what it says, pride only leads to arguments. One of the ways that you can do to start with you is confess your part of the conflict. One of the greatest ways you can start a conflict resolution is say, hey, like before, you'll be surprised how they put their stones down if you throw the stones at yourself. If you just admit to the areas that you know to be wrong that you did and you were not unhealthy with. Can we be honest? Like, it's okay to be wrong. Like, I want us all to say this, because we should just learn how to say it. Say, 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 I'm okay. I'm okay. Come on, like, like you mean it. Like, it's all right. It's just going to be okay. We're all in this together. Online, everybody with me, say, I'm okay, I'm okay. With, being wrong. with being wrong. I'm okay, I'm okay. with being wrong. Like, you don't have to be right. And one of the best things you can do when you're re trying to, res to resolve a conflict is to find the areas that, what was your part to play in the issue? There's nothing wrong with that. 
Learn to repent when necessary. Be quick to apologize. When you start with you, come on, you'll be surprised how open the doors of relationships start to be. Start, begin with me. Number five is this. We're almost done. Practice active listening. James chapter one says it like this. It says, be quick to listen. Everybody say quick. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. One of the reasons we get struggle with conflict resolution is because we start in talking. You and I talk too much. We do. You and I talk too much. We say too many things. You got too many opinions on things. Just a side note, no, everybody doesn't need to know your opinion on everything in the world. <laughs> to everybody on Facebook. You can actually not leave a comment on something you disagree with. <sighs> no, I'm a truth teller, Pastor. I'm a righteous soldier for truth. Good luck with that. How's that going? How many opinions have you changed on Facebook recently? I'll just leave that there. When you practice active listening, it, it sounds like this. You, you listen for hurt. You listen for perspective. You listen for loss. You listen for frustration. You listen for, for pain. You do that by adjusting your perspective. You be considerate of others' feelings. Romans chapter 15 says that you must, we must be considerate of our doubts, of others' doubts and fears. You, you and I have a mandate. I'm pushing this to you. I'm going to poke you a little bit. It's not an option to be a Christian and actually not care about other people's feelings. You have to be considerate of their perspective. Take your lens off of life. Put their lens on for a moment. You don't have to agree with it. I'm just saying you have to see their side. Listen. Actively listen. And not just hear what they're saying. Number six is this. So now you've moved. Okay, so we've asked God for wisdom. Then we made the first step. And then we've set the atmosphere. Then we started with me. And we practiced active listening. Now we've gotten to your favorite part. Now you can talk. All right? Here's your favorite part. And you're like, when are we going to say something, Pastor? I get all that, but I won't say something. Here's what you're going to say. You're going to speak godly truth. You're going to speak godly truth. I like what uh, Dale Carnegie wrote an incredible book. It's an old book now. Uh, It's called How to Win Friends and uh, and Influence People. And if you have problems with people and you don't know how to, like, have emotional intelligence, this is a great book for you. You're like, no one wants to be around me, and no one wants to hang out with me, and I'm never invited to parties. You should buy this book. You should buy two of them. And just go through some of the suggestions that they have. But what he says in one part of the book um, where he gives fundamental techniques in treating and how to treat people. And this is what he says. He says, this is how we should do. When you speak, don't criticize, condemn, or complain. I'm telling you, if we would just do that, that was just the first one. That's number one. And he had a bunch of them. But if we just start with that, you'd be surprised how much your words actually get through to the other person. Proverbs says it like this. You actually, reckless words pierce like a sword. And if you're not careful, you can hurt people with your words. And you and I know this to be true because you've been hurt by people's words. Have you ever noticed when somebody hurts you with their words and they go, okay, I take it back. Do you ever feel better? (laughs) You can't take it back. It's very hard to take words back. It's like once you get it out, it's hard to put it back in. And if you're not careful, you can hurt people and not help people in the moment. So how do we speak godly truth? How do we speak godly truth? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 says we speak truth in love. So here's the formula. We speak godly truth by speaking truth in love. So truth without love is mean. Can we be honest? All you truth bombers out there who don't care about how it comes across, you need to know you're mean. Group hug. Jesus loves you. But you're mean. And you're posting on Facebook your truth. And you're shouting from the mountaintops your truth. 
and you have no love, you're mean. And you should care about whether or not you're mean. Because you don't just reflect you and your family name, you reflect God the Father and his family name. But the opposite is true. All the hippie Christians out there, love without truth is meaningless. So it does matter for you to speak truth, and it does matter for you to, be, to have love with your truth. And so which one is it? Yes. It's both. You need to speak truth with love. Jesus came with grace and truth, love and truth. Truth. Truth and love. Finally, as we wrap up today, because I'm done poking you. Number seven, the goal for all reconciliation in our lives. The goal should be to focus on reconciliation. The goal for all conflict resolution in our life should be focusing on reconciliation and not resolution. Now, 2 Corinthians says something powerful, and I'm closing with this. This is, I'm done. If you've checked out, check back in, because this is maybe the premier point of the message. It's hard to focus on conflict resolution when you feel like you need to agree on everything. And the world will tell you that you need to be polarized in your opinions. It's one side or the other. That you can't walk with each other unless you agree on everything. And that's just not true, especially when it comes to spiritual family. It's not true when it comes to your family because the funny thing is about your life, you don't agree with your wife on everything. Come on. You don't agree with your husband on everything. You ever try to watch a show recently? You don't agree. You want to go see a movie together? You don't agree. You want to go eat at a restaurant together? You don't agree. You want to go like out and play, have a day out and for fun? You don't agree. I'm just telling it's not you. You want to spend some money? Come on, y'all want to buy a house? You don't agree. You want to buy a car? You don't agree. She cares about how many cup holders are in there. You want the, the leader of the engine. Like, you don't agree. But you walk together because you are in resolution that you're going to be unified in a one vision and one mission. And so you and I need to be focused on being reconciled with our fellow brother and not agreeing about every little thing that comes around. It's the enemy's way of dividing families. It's how he divides churches. Hey, you, you, don't, you, you don't really like, remember, you don't like all the music that they play there, so you should go find another church. It's division. Speaking of division, you're never going to find a perfect church or a place that does everything right. I'm not, I, look, I'm not lost on the idea that m most people that go to our church don't agree with everything that we do. I, I get the emails, so I get sometimes I will have the things. I'll get people, some, some people just come up and tell me, hey, I don't like the white you said. Hey, I don't like your hair. Hey, your pants are weird. Hey, your shirt kind of looked weird. Hey, when you said that, that was offensive. Hey, my kids didn't do that. I wouldn't change that. I wouldn't have black pipe and drape. I'd have white pipe and drape. I wouldn't do that light. I would do this light. Hey, you use that version of the Bible. That's not what I use at home. I'm telling you, your Bible's not big enough. Your Bible's not thin enough. Your pants are too skinny. You're not skinny enough. I'm like, don't worry. I already been told by science I'm fat, so I'm okay with that. So I'm just telling you, I'm not lost in the idea that we're just going to have a church where we don't always agree. That's okay. I'm not looking for resolution with everybody, but I am looking for reconciliation. And the Bible says that you and I have been given the ministry of that. This is a powerful verse. You should read this. 2 Corinthians says, all this is from God through Christ who reconciled himself to us. It's the gospel. The gospel message is that we were sinful. God is holy. He sends Jesus because he wants a relationship with us. Jesus stands as a bridge between our, our unholiness and his holiness, allows us to now have a relationship with the Father. That's gospel. Now we have reconciliation and relationship with God. Here's what's crazy. The Bible doesn't stop there. It says and. Everybody say and. and. It's important. And means and. So it's, we're not done. 
and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So what he was saying was, is that you and I have the ability to actually be ministers of reconciliation to our fellow brother. The reason it matters that you have conflict and that you should go try to resolve it is not because you, that's just a cool thing to do. It's because it's a godly thing to do. That's what God did. He modeled it for us. So the reason it should matter to you that there are brothers and Christians in Christ, uh, the sisters and brothers in Christ that are hurting and that you might have conflict with, you need to go make it right, not because you think it's a goodly good thing, but because it's a God thing. That reconciliation is restoring relationship. Resolution is resolving every disagreement, and we're not going to resolve every disagreement. I'm not lost on that. That's okay. Just because we don't see eye to eye on everything doesn't mean we can't walk hand in hand. And that you and I don't need to have uniformity to have unity. That we can be different. We can look different. We can read different versions of the Bible that are true, okay, <laughs> with a caveat. There's some things we do need to agree on, some big rocks. Jesus is the Son of Man. Come on, like there's important things, basic biblical theology. But there's a whole lot of methodology of this that we can, you know what? It's all good. We need to learn to say, it's all good. You need to learn to smile. You need to learn to have grace, have unity in your spirit, unity in your tone, not have to be critical. Does anybody, have you ever noticed you don't invite critical people over to your house for a party? Like you start listing people, you're like, man, they're so critical. We should have them over. No one says that. Because critical people typically are looking for ways to not be in relationship. Graceful people are looking for ways to be in relationship. I want to give you every excuse so that we can just have, we can have a relationship. And when you do that, you'd be surprised how your posture and attitude changes in every part of conflict in your life. Happy are the ones, Jesus said in summary. Happy are the ones who desire peace. Go out and make peace because no one will make a mistake that you're a child of God.